Hey, this is Jeff Wu from the Human Enhancement Podcast in Human. And you might have seen our episode with Dr. Scott Schur about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So we decided to actually come and, and give it a spin in his lab and in his facility here. Welcome. Welcome. This is called Hyperbaric Medical Solutions. I'm sorry, Hyperbaric Medical Services. So many companies, so many similar names. Uh, these guys, we just opened actually in San Francisco. And thank you for coming, Jeff. Of course, and thanks being for with us. And yeah, I thought it'd be good for you to come and have the experience of being in a chamber like we discussed. Yeah. And, and what that's all about. And so what I'll typically do when people come in, these are medical grade chambers, right? So they're not chambers that you can just kind of go in on your own. Like I think I mentioned on the podcast, no matter what kind of chamber you go into, you should really see a doctor first. But these are, have all the research behind them. This is where all the data has come from. And this is where you can get more pressure and more oxygen and really more therapeutic benefit in general. So um, people come for all different reasons, like we talked about. Some keep, people come because they have diabetic foot ulcers and they have cancer and they've had a radiation injury or they're working on a ketogenic diet and doing a cancer protocol at the same time, maybe. Uh, there's these on-label and off-label, the things that are covered by insurance, the things that are not covered by insurance. And so the optimal performance space is something that's not covered by insurance. It's in investigational. In the sense, if you get yourself better faster, insurance is never gonna cover for that. They just want, uh, they want you to get Needs better, slower, <laughs> get right. better, slower. I guess and more people make money in that way. Yes, exactly, yeah. So just to go over uh, the FDA approved indications, just as a reminder, diabetic foot ulcers, radiation injury from cancer, sudden hearing loss, and chronic bone infections. Uh, of course, also carbon monoxide poisoning and necrotizing fasciitis and some of these other things that are emergencies uh, that we won't be treating in these chambers. This is an outpatient center. So it's for people that are stable. <laughs> uh, but on the performance space, on the investigational side, uh, people with traumatic brain injuries or concussions, uh, people uh, that are looking for cancer synergy, so with the ketogenic diet, for example, or ketone supplementation, which is fun now. Uh, also looking at people that are doing endurance races or doing uh, high-performance athletics and doing, uh, doing things that require lots of cardiac output, lots of good oxygen consumption and oxygen carrying capacity, right. hyperbaric therapy helps with all of that. Uh, a number of other conditions like inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis has some data. Uh, also with some cognitive enhancement protocols, there's some data for uh, some college students in China who got five hyperbaric treatments. And then after five treatments, they did actually did brain scans before and after and saw how their brains improved in functioning in certain areas, especially in the frontal lobe where our executive functioning is, where right. we are ability to keep things in our mind, ability to remember things and, and bring things out of our long-term storage into the short term and manifest them on a test, for example. Right. I guess in China they have these interests. Which in is really, really hard to do, just like being in a nootropic space. It's much easier to see animal study models that show improvement or just you know biomarker, biometric improvements, but to actually see behavioral change is, is pretty phenomenal. So I'm yeah, and also to correlate that to imaging, right. which is objective, right, right, in the sense that you can't fake imaging. You can have the sort of placebo effect of, I'm going to get better in the chamber, and then you get better right. with whatever you do. I'm going to get better with this nootropic, for right. example. But you kind of take that out of there a little bit because you actually have some of that objective measurement. Right. That's where a lot of this field is going, is that trying to, we know people get better right. most of the time but objective measurements are what everybody in the conventional medical space wants. Right. 
And so looking at biometric data is something that we're doing and doing more inflammatory testing, for example, looking at SED rates and CRPs and other inflammatory mediators like LPP, LA2, and that's a cardiac inflammatory marker. Right. So we're starting to work on that. And so along with that and the imaging, we're, you know, we're, we're taking it to the next level here. But for you today, let's go through the consult. This is what would typically be for somebody coming in. Yeah, walk me through if I were just off the streets, I want to, you know, probably not for a medical use, but hey, I want to be a better version of myself in, in some way. I come into your office. What does it look like? So the first thing you say is you know, what my goals are, right? right? So your goals are you want to perform better, yes. right? And so uh, the question I always have is, do you have any specific goals in mind? Do you have a race coming up? Do you have a test that's going to happen? Are you going mountaineering? Right. Are you going diving? If you have a specific goal, we want to try to tailor okay. our therapy to that. Well, well, well I did, just did a three-month challenge to box, and that was completed earlier this month. And my next three-month challenge is to do of my first half marathon. So First half marathon. Yeah. So, okay, have you done any running in the past? I, uh, I mean, general cardio, but never was, never really like longer runs, but did a three mile run this morning. Same thing yesterday. So you did so, fasting this morning? So I'm, I'm fasted now, yes. How long are you fasted for now? Uh, so I probably, I ate dinner around six, seven. So now it's around, you know, uh, so like 16, eight, 17 hours now. And that's something you do pretty commonly. Yes. I'm guessing. Yeah. Did you take any ketone supplementation throughout that time, or is it just pure no, fasting, pure just fasted. water? Yeah. Okay. You've been keeping hydrated. Yeah. Okay. And how often do you do it? Would you say? Uh, on uh, on a daily basis, I do around 16, 18 hour fast, okay. pretty regularly. So and you're I do doing a like fast okay. on on Tuesdays. Okay. So you're doing like a 16-8 kind of thing. Yeah. 16-8 or 18-6, typically on a, on a daily basis. So there is some data that hyperbaric therapy, this is preliminary, so it's investigational still, not, again, covered by insurance or anything, but that hyperbaric therapy can help with something called your VO2 max, right? Mm -hmm. Your body's ability to, uh, to consume oxygen right. more efficiently. Right. Those protocols typically take about 20 hyperbaric sessions. Okay. And because what happens in a, in a chamber, if you remember from our, our podcast, is that you have to actually change how the DNA expresses proteins right. and how it regulates the cellular metabolism, right? So by getting to about treatment 20, you're then allowing the body to do that optimally. So right. you're increasing blood vascularization. And then for the heart, that's also important too. You need to have more collaterals, more capillaries, more blood flow to all of the areas of the heart. And then that allows more oxygen to get there. And then you also have to have what we call auto-regulation of blood flow. The, 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 the ability of the body's blood vessels to regulate blood uh, to get into those certain areas. And we know that this is the case in the chamber because we can see this in other areas that we've, we've treated over time. And so my colleagues in Israel that have the biggest hyper cha hyperbaric chamber in the world, I think they're treating 200 patients a day right wow. now. And most of the patients they're treating actually are on these, what, what they're calling a reverse aging protocol. So they're doing brain maps, they're doing inflammatory mediators, testing, interleukin testing, cytokine testing, they're doing heart function testing, including the VO2 max. And preliminarily, they're having some amazing results. So for endurance, if you want that increased cardiac output or oxygen utilization. I mean, come in chronically, essentially. You need to, yeah, over, most of these things happen over time. You don't expect right. to come in, pop in for 30 minutes, and become Superman. Right. Now, that being said, I think I mentioned on the, on the podcast, you do have a, what I call a, 
it's probably not the best word, but a bleed out window. So we're in the sense of you have oxygen in your system, we diffuse up to 1,200% more oxygen into your system, right? So 1,200% more oxygen getting in, into your body into these, when you're in these chambers. Right. And that 1,200% more oxygen is not just saturating your red blood cells, but saturating the liquid of your blood. Right. And so as a result of that, you still have that oxygen circulating in your bloodstream for about hour and a half or so after you get out of the chamber. So, I mean, hypothetically, if you had a hyperbaric chamber close to your endurance race, you got into it, these are m more difficult, but if you were in one of the, the soft ones, for example, and then you got and did your race, you will have an increased oxygen carrying capacity for some period of time. Right. Um, everybody's going to be a little bit different. And they're actually thinking about using that therapeutically. You know, for example, in something like glioblastoma, which is a terrible brain cancer. Right. The brain is a very, these cancers are very hypoxic. Right. Um, so what they're doing is they're flooding the body with oxygen in the chamber and then immediately taking them to get radiation. Because radiation is actually oxygen sensitive, so it, it only goes where oxygen is. Right. There's some preliminary data that's actually, could be, it looks like it's, there's going to be a therapeutic benefit. So there could be some acute benefits here. Yeah. Essentially, if I, if I you know, go and run my second run of the day, maybe it'll be faster than the first run this morning. Did you bring, yeah, would you bring some clothes <laughs> to run and just get you running up the yeah. hills afterwards and see exactly. how you do? Yeah. And see how you're, I mean, check on your heart rate, check yeah. on. I mean, that's the thing. You, I mean, I have, we haven't done that work, but right. it's interesting to think about, right? I have some preliminary data, at least N equals one on like heart rate variability improvements as well. Right. Not just one treatment though, at least three to five treatments. Right. Because what happens in the, in the chamber is that not only do you have, so how, how does oxygen work? And, and, and one of the ways it does that is, is actually causing something called an oxidative stress, or hermetic stress in this sense, actually allowing your body to function better but it takes some time. It's just like exercise. Exercise kind of has a little breakdown, like a little bit of oxidative stress, a little bit of inflammation, and as a result of that, your body gets stronger. Yep. And in the chamber, it's the same idea after one session. Mm -hmm. After about three sessions, your body has this reactive antioxidant load capacity that's increased. Right. And as a result of that, all that mild oxidative stress that happened in the beginning goes away, and then you get all the benefits. Right. So one treatment is really just not going to be therapeutic, for right. example. But if you have a protocol, um, it can be really helpful. Right. And then also for like recovery, for example, there is a little bit of preliminary data, like if you were going to come in after like a workout right. and you wanted to kind of wash out some of that lactic acid and kind of help with your muscle recovery, hyperbaric therapy may be able to help you with just in just one treatment. Yeah. And so there's lots of also other things that we're experimenting. But anyway, back to you, endurance racing. Yes. So. That's one way we could use hyperbaric right. therapy. Well, around exploration, have you experimented with cyclical up and down? I've been talking about hyperbaric oxygen therapy and, or even bringing people into hypobaric mm -hmm. states mm -hmm. and then dropping them down to sea level or further than sea level. Do you think that accelerates uh, potentially the, That's a the really therapy? a really good question. I mean, have you experimented with that at all? The answer, I'm smiling really broadly and widely <laughs> because that's the next level okay. is understanding that it's not just about the oxygen in the chamber, right. it's about the pressure. Right. And you need both to drive more oxygen in, right. but pressure on your lymphatics, on your detoxification mechanisms, right. pressure on your cells, right. and pressure on all the fluid, the cerebral spinal fluid, right. has an effect that likely is being modulated in these chambers and modulating, modulated in a hypobaric chamber right. that's allowing blood flow to get more, to actually, you know, I talked about auto-regulation of blood right. flow, I think that's actually the reason. I don't think it's the oxygen. I think it's the pressure. Right. 
So we have been starting to experiment with changes in pressure, like cyclic pressures. And what does that mean, right? So uh, the hypobaric guys, there's a couple chambers out there now that are doing these variable pressure protocols using hypobaric environments. Um, but in these chambers, you can actually simulate something similar. Right. So, and, and the interesting thing is too, you're in 100% oxygen in here, right? right? But when you come out of it, now you're at normal oxygen, but that's still relatively hypoxic. Yeah. And I think I might have mentioned this in the podcast too, but all these things that get stimulated when you're hypoxic get stimulated when you come out huh. of the chamber. So the right. same things like hypoxic inducible factor, for example. Right. So that is one of the reasons we think that you create new blood vessels and, and have all those stimulus to do it. So I think that's next level stuff. Okay. We're not quite there yet. But when Interesting I have, areas of, of yeah. research and, yeah. and experimentation. When I have patients that are coming in like post-workouts, uh, like post for example, and again, this is all investigational, um, not covered by insurance, I always have to say that, but, um, but I often will do a little bit of a pressure change right. to kind of work on lim their lymphatics and help with detoxification. So um, that's something that you could consider, yeah. right, um, as you're training. Yeah. Um, but the idea really is to optimize your physiology. Right. So in the chamber, you have an ear pressurization sensation in the chamber, just like if you were scuba diving mm -hmm. or just like if you were on a plane or a train. So your ears have to be able to pop the pressure as they right. would in those particular situations. Yes. Have you ever had any trouble with any of that before? No. Uh, I've scuba dived and you got to learn how to clear your ear pressure, right? Right. So, so we teach patients how to do that. Yeah. And 99% of people have no trouble. I'd say 95% of people have no trouble. Okay. And of those 5% that do have trouble, we can get like four or five of those 5% through with some of the maneuvers that you know from scuba diving right. for the most part. And like 1% of patients can't actually pressurize their ears and then they have to get actually ear tubes, just like the tubes that you'd get if you were a kid, for example. Like if you had lots of ear infections as a kid, you can get tubes in your ears. Right. But as an adult, you don't have to worry about like the sedation and anything else crazy. Right. Uh, did you ever have any trouble with your ears when you were a kid? Not that I can Not recall. chronic ear yeah. infections no, or anything like that. No. So again, most likely not a problem. But what can happen is if you let the pressure build up and you can't clear your ears, you, can get, you can get, that's the, the worst case scenario is that you actually can burst your tympanic membrane, your eardrum. Uh, but what I always tell patients is that hyperbaric therapy should never be painful. Right. And if you have that fullness is that's not going away, we can stop the pressurization right. at any time. Versus scuba diving, it's a little bit more difficult to do when you're diving or something and you have a pack on. Right. For us, we just stop the pressurization. We watch you because we're in touch with you the whole time. So even though you're in one of these chambers, we can hear you. You're on intercom. So you just talk. And then we have to talk to you with the telephone, as you'll see. So, so you're never out of communication with us. There's always somebody watching you. And we're listening to how you're breathing. We're listening to, uh, we're looking at your body, making sure everything looks comfortable at the same time. And that's not, you don't get that in a soft chamber, right? You don't get that when you're in a little home unit. Right. And when anybody tells me they can't get to a hard chamber facility and they only can use a soft chamber, I go, okay, you know, see a doctor, talk to a doctor that knows about hyperbaric right. therapy, make sure somebody's supervising you right. as you're doing it. Again, the risks are minimal, right. and I'll talk about some more of them in a minute, but it's still important for you to know what they are. Right, and apparently to even get an oxygen compressor for a soft chamber, you need a medical prescription as you do. well. So it's yeah. not even, it's not that straightforward to have this set up. Right, I mean, yes. I mean, yeah. if you're inventive, you could probably find these things, yeah. but I still don't recommend it because you still have to know what you're doing and be right. safe about it. Right. Oxygen is not benign if it's given in the wrong way. 
And so that's something called oxygen toxicity. Right. And so you'll hear doctors say, oh, you shouldn't go into a chamber or something because you can get oxygen toxic or right. something. This comes out of literature from babies and from people in ICUs that are on chronic long-term oxygen right. for long periods of right. time. We're using- I've heard also in the, you know, the naval research you know, sort of world, right? if you're doing super deep dives for mm -hmm. super long times, get oxygen toxicity. Yeah, right. can you clarify so, that? Yeah, so oxygen toxicity is the manifestation in your body of too much oxygen. Right. And that's actually too much reactive oxygen species, too much oxidative stress. So if you go t very deep underneath the water and you're breathing 100% oxygen, at about three atmospheres, which is about 66 feet of seawater, you have about anybody, depending on the person. It's like, okay. 66 yeah, feet yeah, of seawater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 66. Yeah. 99 Because I read the rule of thumb, it's like 33, like 10 meters is like one atmosphere. So one atmosphere is 33 feet of seawater. Right, right, right. Yeah, so which the meter's equivalent would yeah, be 10 yeah, meters, yeah, I guess, yeah. right? Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so 33 feet of seawater is one is two atmospheres, right. and then 66 feet of seawater three. is three atmospheres. Yeah. Uh, one atmosphere is at zero feet of seawater, yeah, yeah. basically. It's a little bit confusing. Yeah. But um, anyway, so at three ATA, or at 66 feet of seawater, if you're at 100% oxygen, you're going to have an oxygen toxicity seizure mm in somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes a little bit longer. Okay. So we don't typically take people that deep. And if we do, we give them something called air breaks, which is when you're on, uh, you're in the chamber and you get 100% oxygen and we break it up with 21% oxygen every 30 minutes, uh, which is normal room air, basically right. compressed. And so what the researchers like Dom D'Agostino were trying to do was not give people that there's no such thing as an air break when you're scuba diving, right? Right, especially if you're on a non-rebreather, right. you're a Navy SEAL, and you can't have bubbles. Right. So they needed to figure out how long somebody could be down there right. and not have a seizure, basically. Right. And so they found that ketogenic supplementation, ketogenic diets, prolonged that time right. because they prevented the brain from having that excitability that happens with reactive oxygen species. Right. And so hyperbaric therapy, in combination with the ketogenic diet is actually brain protective. Right. And so I get, I'm much less worried, for example. But, uh, but seizures are very rare in these chambers because we can use something called uh, the air breaks. And we don't go as deep as 3ATA almost right. any time, except right. if there's a very severe infection and you're in the hospital or something. Right. Necrotizing fasciitis. I think I talked about that too. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a nasty <laughs> one. So anyway, or you've had carbon monoxide poisoning or you've had a, a dive injury, for right. example. So, in general, an oxygen-induced seizure is very rare. Um, if, patient, if a patient has a seizure disorder to start off with, um, they want, we need to make sure that their seizures are controlled. Right. But I put patients in, in the chambers that have seizure disorders all the time, and they're fine. Right. Sometimes, actually, their seizures get even better controlled, hmm. interestingly enough, as you're just changing that blood autoregulation that right. we talked about. Whether that's because of oxygen or pressure, we don't know for sure yet. Right. But we're working on it. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff that's going to come in there. So um, <coughs> oxygen-induced seizures are very rare, like I said, especially at more shallow pressures. So for brain protocols or neurologic protocols, we're usually using somewhere between 1.5 and 2 atmospheres of pressure. Okay. There's actually never been a seizure described at 1.5, okay. for example, in somebody that didn't already have a seizure disorder. Right. We also worry about oxygen on the lungs. So you have to have normal lungs to go into the chamber. If you have COPD or if you have like a difficulty with getting oxygen into the lungs, right. you have to be careful because it can cause. So what happens in the chamber, as you can imagine, the lungs are like bags. 
in the sense that they, they're inflated and deflated. And so when you're in the chamber, the, your vital capacity, the amount of oxygen or the amount of air you can get in and out is going to get a little bit less right. under pressure. Because if you have a balloon under pressure, it gets smaller. And just like a balloon, the lungs also get a little bit smaller. Right. So it's important that the lungs can function normally. Right. So as long as you don't have a history of COPD or restrictive lung disease or alpha-1 antitrypsin disorder, which is very rare, right. or you've had a pre previous history of lung trauma, right. Um, or like, uh, the lung last one would be like uh, like a collapsed lung. Or you worry about a collapsed lung, right? Like if, is yeah. asthma considered lung trauma? Like, what is lung trauma for for listeners out there? Yeah, that's a good point. So asthma is something that we do consider right. as an air trapping disorder. So right. you can trap air if you have right. bad asthma. So it's important that if you have asthma, that you're well controlled, right. um, because if you have uncontrolled asthma, you can get air trapping, and that air can still cause trouble in right. the chamber. Right. I always ask people that have asthma, even if it's well controlled, to bring their inhaler with them just in case. I've right. had some patients with some mild reactivity right. afterwards, but it really has not been bad. But I, that's, a, that's a really good yeah. thing that you bring up. That's yeah. a more common right. thing in our in our population <laughs> we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, so asthma is another one. Right. Um, if you have, uh, so let's say where, we, where were we? So lungs we talked about, talked about the brain and, and seizures. Right. Very rare, and if, if you do have a seizure in the chamber, uh, we can reverse it immediately by just taking out the 100% oxygen, putting you on compressed air. Right. Again, very rare. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy is like safer than Tylenol, okay? Probably safer than an NSAID, yeah. for God's sakes. If you look at like the, the physician death reference yeah. of all the things that can happen in, with, a, with an, a leave, for right. example. But just to put it in perspective. Yeah. Um, other things just to think about. So if a patient's a diabetic uh, or if they're on a ketogenic diet, Hyperbaric therapy will improve insulin sensitivity. So what I have seen, and we can test this on you, yeah. is patients' ketone levels go up and their sugars go down. Interesting. So I have to be careful if they're diabetic. Right. Uh, but I don't have to be careful if they're ketogenic. Right. Uh, except if I'm worried about them getting off the scale on ketosis, right? right? So um, what does that mean? You know, uh, who knows? But I think I try to get people, I don't like them to be a little bit, like above six is probably a little bit too high. Okay. Um, at least that's my, my cutoff for yeah. now. So if you're I mean, already diabetic there, ketoacidosis is like 25 plus. Yeah, so diabetic ketoacidosis is entirely different, yeah. right? But most people aren't used to being at that high level of right. ketones. Right. And we don't have a lot of data on people on that high level. Right. So I tend to err like below six usually. Okay. So what I have seen for the most part is like people that have ketone levels around two, three, okay. uh, and then they go up to like four or five. Interesting. Or they're like 0 0.5 to one, and they'll go to like two or three. Interesting. Uh, so it makes Let's a lot of sense. Let's do the finger pricks. I'm actually curious to see that. Yeah, so that'll yeah. be part of what we do. Okay. And so, yes, ins increasing insulin res uh, sensitivity and increasing uh, ketone levels as a result of that. Right. That's pretty much it. So, I mean, hyperbaric therapy, like I said, very safe, uh, very comfortable. Uh, the, the only other thing you might feel in the chamber as the as you go down in pressure, sometimes you get some temperature changes and get a little bit warm and get a little bit colder, depending. Um, when you're down there, though, you should feel fine. So, so like for example, you're starting at zero feet of seawater. We're going to take you today to 25 feet of seawater. Okay. As you go down, you're going to be pressurizing your ears. Right. When you get down to the pressure, you no longer have to pressurize, right. and you're just going to relax. And as you go back up, again, repressurize it. Yeah. Interestingly enough, it's harder to go down in pressure than it is to come up huh. in pressure. Okay. And I think the reason I thought about this a lot evolutionarily is that our bodies were telling us, don't go down, right? right? 
don't go down. Your right. ears are popping. They hurt if you're not careful, right? But coming back up is like, yes, you're going to get right up. Away. You got to get the hell back up, right? <laughs> Evolutionarily, yeah. I don't want to drown. Right. So your ears are, are easier to, to actually decompress on the way up. Okay. That's my theory, at least. Yeah. I'm going with it. <laughs> I mean, I always think about the evolutionary reason for these things, yeah. right? And so um, why did we not live on, on really high mountains most of the time, right? right? Because people got sicker, right? right. Or unless they got... Also, like, being you, up there. you can't eat anything up there either, right? Above yeah. the tree line, like, you're just looking at snow and, like, lichen. And then, and then you have your less vitamin D and right. everything else. And so, um, I mean, people, and actually, some interesting studies that have been done at high altitudes. Um, there is more depression, mm. more suicide at high altitudes, interestingly enough. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but also interesting, there's a study that was done looking at uh, concussions at high altitude have potentially... Outcomes. Actually, potentially better outcomes, okay. interestingly enough. Okay. I don't know why that is. Huh. Um, but there's also been some preliminary data on in mice, if you bonk them over the head and then put them in the chamber, their injuries are less. So, yeah. um, sorry, let me, let me say that again. If you put them in a hyperbaric chamber, before you, get, before you bonk them over the head, right. their injuries are less okay. versus if you just bonk them over the head. Okay. So, I mean, there's, we're, talk about in, we're talking about that in, like, in the pre-treatment for, for patients that, that have a high risk of concussion, for right, example. Right. So I have a couple of NFL athletes that I, that I talk to. And again, this is all investigational, but I'm like, look, if you're going to go and get your head batted around, you should get in the chamber the day before, right before. or even right before if you can, right. so you have some protection, potentially. Right. And I know the military has been working on some of this, too, yeah. in, patients, in, in soldiers that are at high risk. Right. All right, cool. so any, any questions? No, I feel pretty comfortable. I mean, I've dove down to 80, 90 feet before, so 25 feet in depth seems like a, you know, a nice little dip. But the 100% right. oxygen part will be interesting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, great. So yeah. we're going to get your vitals done. We'll, you can take your own ketone level. Okay, yeah. I'll have you meet Sandy. Cool. And then we'll get you all changed. Cool. All right. So how do you feel? Good. It was a fun experience. I would compare it to... You know, a combination of taking like a business class flight international where you're like in a metal tube, feeling some pressure changes, uh, definitely felt like not, like a weird notion of not needing to breathe. Felt like I could take much shallower breaths. And I remember you were telling me, take your deep breaths, get the full oxygenation going. Yeah, the body uh, starts realizing you're on 100% oxygen, yeah. so you start naturally not breathing as much. Yeah, I was just like, hmm, yeah. I'm not even really sucking in any air oh okay i should actually breathe mm -hmm. um and then towards the end i think as i was going what i was like 20 minutes at 1.5 atmosphere 35 at 1.75 yep towards the end feeling uh slight mild euphoria uh a little bit of a tingling sensation um getting a little antsy too like you yeah. wanted to come out and well either because like i'm stuck in a tube or like i feel more amped up and, and ready to go yeah um yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting. I was doing some mental math in there. Time seemed to go by real quick. Were you, other than mental math, what were you doing? Were you, were you trying to meditate? Were you trying to relax? Trying to just breathe. 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 Yeah, yeah meditate, yeah. relax. You know, check if I was like instantly, you know, able to solve seven digits by seven. I don't know. It was, you know, I could still do my, you know, two digit by three digit multiplications. Uh, uh -huh. So, yeah, no, it was a fun just like experimentation. Right. I'm just like getting a sense of, what my body and my mind feels like right. at that pressure. Yeah, like as we spoke about, this is just an example of one right. treatment. Yeah. Most of the protocols are at least three treatments yeah. long. And then for the longer protocols, 20 treatments, even sometimes as many as 40. Right. 
it's when you start getting this solid foundation of hyperbaric therapy, the cumulative dose, right. that you really start getting those long-term effects. Yeah. In the short term, you get a little bit of maybe a mild euphoria, right. more a little more energy, recovery from an injury right. or recovery from a workout. Right. But it's if you want that sort of cognitive boost, like I told you about that study, five treatments, we don't even think that lasted too long, but it lasted enough for them to do their testing. Right. Right. So it depends on what sort of your minimal viable uh, goal is, right? right? If your what goal is, your is threshold, what yeah. is it? Yeah. but for the most part, it's, I often recommend in the optimal performance space, trying to get a block of treatment in right. so that you actually change how your body, body use, try that again, changes how your body utilizes oxygen over the long term. Right. If you can do that, if you can get over that little threshold, then you come in as needed and it really does work yeah. in a much quicker fashion. Yeah, I got to come back for a block. Well, yeah. one biometrics that we can measure acutely is ketones and glucose. So I'm actually curious to see uh, the manipulation here. I mean, do we, you know, what do you guess? Can we have make predictions here? Or are you? Well, you didn't go too deep. Okay. Uh, so typically uh, on the deeper pressures, I see the higher ketone jumps okay. and the higher glucose going Depressions, down. Depressions, yeah. Um, and I started off like fairly low on glucose already. Yeah, so I think you were at 75, is yeah, that right? Yeah, 75s. So, so let's see. I'm guessing you'll probably go down maybe about five points in glucose and maybe about a half a millimolar in, in, in ketones. Okay. We'll see. Let's see. Okay, blood sugar is stable. Maybe the same, okay. Which is, I mean, I think even with exogenous ketones, when you're when I start with something at 75, you're not expecting to go any further. Yeah, 75 is pretty low. It's pretty actually. low, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, 70 is relatively low for somebody that's not a diabetic, actually. So that's not glucose, that's not ketone adapted. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're going, I mean, you would consider that almost hypoglycemic. You're right, any yeah. further. I mean, ideally, if you're you know, doing with cancer and, and some other metabolic therapy-related things, you want to get your glucose down to 60. Right. You may not. 0 0.8. Okay, so 0 0.8. So 0 down 0 0.3. Up, yeah, up, yeah. Up, so, uh, up, yeah. Up, uh, up 0 0.2. Yeah. Which is pretty, yeah, I don't think I would expect that to go up 0 0.2 within like an hour. So yeah. Definitely so, some effect there, I believe. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Like I said, it was a, not a deep pressure, yeah. but a pressure that... I was expecting maybe mild results right. in that respect. So if you really, like for cancer, for example, and we're looking at patients that are combining the two, right. like that, those are the examples that I've seen so far. Right. Like they were two millimolars and they went to four millimolar, right. for example. So um, I'm excited to see how things go in that respect. Yeah. There's some question as to whether it can help insulin sensitivity over right. the long term as well. Right. We don't have the data yet, but it'd be interesting. That'd be interesting. It. Like I think that's one thing I've been looking at. Can you have handheld insulin meters because right, usually those are lab tests because it's at that nano liter level where it's like quite hard to pull you know pull up those numbers but yeah it'll be interesting to see like you know ambient insulin when you go in and out of a tube yeah yeah i mean there's blood whole blood glucose is better too but yeah. you know like, there's all these variable measures they're looking yeah. at continuous glucose monitors now in various ways and yeah. implantables and things yeah. you can't have implantables in there for the most part though we yeah. kind of avoid those but but uh, yeah i mean the experience you had is what i would have expected some people get like a little bit more elation, a lot more energy. Right. Some people feel, feel a little bit more tired and right. they just feel like got to take a nap. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but for the most part, in normal people that are a little bit keto, like a little bit of ketosis, right. they're going to feel a little bit more energy, right. a little more euphoria. And then you'll, you'll notice that you probably won't have like a dip during the day at all. Right. Like, like, you'll probably go and be fine until like 10 o'clock, 10, 11 o'clock tonight. Right. 
And then you're like, oh, I'm still kind of awake. <laughs> but you'll sleep fine. Yeah, no, very comfortable, you know, professional, you know, staff here. So I appreciate you showing us uh, the tour here. So apparently, you know, just opening now, right? So yeah, just started. We're at 2107 O'Farrell in the city okay. in San Francisco. You can find us at hyperbaricmedicalservices.com, I think, or something. Anyway, you can just Google me too, Scott yeah. Sher, and I can help you figure it out, of course. But uh, we have locations. There's hyperbaric locations all over the country. All right. So I recommend, like I always said, you know, if you're interested, talk to a doc. Yeah. Don't just buy something on yeah, eBay. Yeah, talk to Scott. Scott, <laughs> Scott knows this stuff. I mean, don't buy something on eBay. You know, that's <laughs> all I'm saying. You know, you don't know where it came from and who's used it, <laughs> what animals have been inside of it. All right, pleasure. It's a pleasure. All Cheers. right, I give you a hug, man. Yeah. Well done.